Hello and welcome to Opera Apero. Uh, this is Sophia, your host, and on today's episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, so I took a little bit of vacation. I personally had carryover days from the previous year uh, that I needed to use, use them or lose them, and so I took some days off, and that was taking all these days off, and I was like, oh, why don't I also just do something different on the show? Uh, also, because it is easier when you just do something with one person instead of with two people. <laughs> on this episode, I'm going to do a little bit of introduction to opera words, opera terminology, if you will. <laughs> um, and it's probably not going to be the only one because I'm not going to say I can cover all opera terminology and knowledge in one episode, um, but this is just something so that you all can know more about characters when I start to describe them in the future, but also so that we get a larger appreciation of things. Um, because the stories are really great. Obviously, I'm all here for the stories. Um, but as with most things, there are... It, it is easier when you know more of the technic, technicalities of a, of a format, of an art format. Which is also why what I want to talk about as well is like, why is this necessary? Um, kind of also goes back to the original reason of this show, which is that, uh, it's okay if opera doesn't make sense to you right off the bat. It's just an art form. Like a lot of other art forms, you can get drawn in immediately, or you can be very confused by it. Um, and so I, I guess, uh, growing up in the States, I had to study literature. And so, we had to learn, we had to learn how to analyze literature. And I remember reading this book, um, about like, it was, just, I don't even remember what it's called. It's something about like how, how to like read, read. Um, I'm going to quickly Google it. Literally going to Google how to read literature. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. That actually worked. Okay. <laughs> so it's called how to read literature like a professor by Thomas C. Foster. Um, and, what he does, and this is something that uh, my friend Tess on the La Fanchula del West episode talked about, is that breaks down these like themes or common things that happen, common uh, in a way like called tropes uh, that you can kind of pick up in stories, and because you can pick them up, they become this relatable th like kind of token that you can collect, and like you see it and you know what it means. Uh, and I think the most like drastic thing for me when I read that book was it talked about the meaning of eating a meal together in a story. And that had never occurred to me. I was like, you know, well, humans need to eat. So naturally we would, it, literature would display when humans are eating together. But no, actually like humans eating together can be very symbolic and represent uh, two parties coming together and forming a union or two people who were previously at odds coming together and like compromising or discussing. Um, and so all this to say that much like literature, opera has these themes 
I mean, there's stories, right? It always has these themes. Uh, and so we want to figure out what are these kinds of like thematic things. And also I'm going to bring up this other example, which is that there are classes called theater appreciation or like film, not film, they don't call it film appreciation. Uh, I just know that I took a theater appreciation class one time in college. Uh, but there are like film clubs that are definitely just film appreciation. And so, um, there are all these like, opera is not exempt from this. So again, like if you don't feel like you understand opera, that's okay. Because like, guess what? There are people who don't understand theater, the people who don't understand film. And like part of it is like getting together and thinking and figuring out how to think about these things and figuring out how the, how they're structured. Basically understanding the structure is important to understanding when something deviates from the structure, when something does something a little bit different within the structure. What does that mean? And like getting meaning from that, because anytime something plays around inside or outside of the structure, that has meaning. So when it comes to our opera appreciation knowledge, what I want to start with first is the different voice types. The voice types are very musical. And as I have tried to point out on many an occasion, I don't have a musical education and I don't know too much about notes and scales and keys and key changes and minor versus major. Uh, I know a lot of people talk about them, but it is important to understand the different voice types when it comes to operas because they do really can really represent different character types and you can kind of get a larger understanding of what a character is going for or uh, before you go into an opera and you see a character as a soprano or a mezzo or a bass, you have a better idea of what might be in store for you. So it's we're going to go into the voice types because that'll also add some more depth in the future when I'm explaining operas and saying, well, this person's a soprano. And, um, so with that being said, the next caveat I will say is that the voice types are uh, definitely traditionally split into male and female. Um, when it comes to these voice types, again, in despite not knowing music stuff, I know that there's notes and there's scales. Uh, so a lot of the voices represent ranges within note with of notes um and there are a lot of times when a traditional one one traditional style of singer might flex into a different role so it's something that is within their voice um so there's their voice types and then each singer has kind of they usually are assigned a type um and then based on their technique, how strong they feel about going into certain notes, they can flex above, below that to get into different roles that are needed for an opera. Um, also, within each of the roles I'm going to talk about, there are also like sub roles. Uh, I will say <laughs> that these sub uh, sub roles. Uh, so there's something called the Fach system, uh, F 
this F-A-C-H, I'm trying to pronounce it in the German way, the Fach system, um, which has done a lot of the like categorization of these different voice types. So within each voice type, there's all these like sub roles. Um, and ain't it the most German thing to create all these categories and systems and like rules, but still very useful. So let's get into it. The first, and we're going to start from the tippity top. The first voice type is uh, probably something that you might have heard of before, which is a soprano. So this is the highest, usually female voice um, that is portrayed. So a lot of times our leading ladies are going to be sopranos um, in the operas that this show has already talked about. So far, we can see that in Leonora from Il Trovatore, Salome, again, leading lady, uh, in Madame Butterfly, Chocho-san, or Madame Butterfly, literally the leading lady, uh, Rusalka, again, leading lady. Uh, these are all soprano types. We can also see this with uh, Marcelin and uh, Sophie Faninal from Der Rosencavalier, but this is a little bit where the sub-roles can create more contrast. So although uh, the Marcelin, um, so for those who are unaware, in Der Rosencavalier, um, it tells the story of uh, a man with two love interests. So the Marcelin, which is an older woman who he's already like, who he's been with for a bit, uh, and Sophie Faninal, who he becomes infatuated with in rap in quick succession uh and so though they're both sopranos they are actually different types of sopranos and so the mashallah is more of this like deeper um voice whereas sophie faninal is definitely on like the higher range of the soprano so it kind of emphasizes this difference between the older woman and the younger woman um in and then despite being within the same voice type so they're the same voice but we can still create contrast within that um and so another example of the soprano is agrippina um so when i first watched agrippina which again listen to that episode uh super complicated but actually such a satisfying opera um the most, I think, most famous recent production of this opera was by the Metropolitan, um, also because it happened right before the coronavirus pandemic set in. So I think there's like a Met HD live recording of it from February of 2020, ah, back then. But Agrippina, the title character, is actually in this recording portrayed by Joyce Di Donato, who is a traditionally mezzo-soprano performer. Um, so this is just one of many instances in which we'll see a traditional like mezzo-soprano or a traditional uh, someone in a flexing into a different role or voice type than what they are usually known for. Um, so. Those are some examples from the operas that we've already covered. Uh, and again, like sopranos are, they can cover, I mean, these are all very different character types, right? So we have our like young, jubilant Sophie Faninal and 
who's just new to love. Um, the soprano can range from these like very young, naive, and also almost like clever and playful young women to more of the like very dramatic, like uh, Salome <laughs> um, and Leonora, some of these more like sadder types. Uh, but so it really is very much like it could, it's, it, it is mostly known for more of these like capricious types or romantic enthralled types, um, which are very fun. I mean, to give you also some examples of mod, okay, I am not saying this is the one and only list of sopranos that you should listen to. Uh, these are some sopranos that have I've seen in the operas I've featured on this show so far, and there are definitely tons of famous stars, operas f- full of people uh, who are, um, I guess. I don't know if they would think of themselves this way, but to use our more recent internet slang, their stands. Uh, there's a lot of Maria Callas fans, um, but some sopranos that I've seen in a lot of these features include Lisette Oropesa, Ana Netrebko, Renee Fleming, Hui He, uh, all great. So, uh, that's the soprano. Um, there's sub roles uh, within these. So there's like a lyric soprano or a colatura soprano or a subret soprano. Um, I don't want to get too much into those because then it'll just take too much time. <laughs> and so the next role we have is a mezzo soprano. And this is actually a personal favorite. Um, the mezzo soprano, again, is. So again, we started from the top, we're moving a little bit down. The mezzo-soprano is more of our, um, like, more regular-sounding female voice. So the soprano is very much like a high voice, higher voice, or able to reach those higher notes, where the mezzo might not be able to, but they are able to reach more of those lower notes when they sing. Um, And so this, I think, a lot of mezzo roles can get into more of the like sultry female characters, the more um, darker characters. Uh, So for example, we have Azucena from Il Travotore. So to jog your memory, Azucena is the mom uh, in Il Travotore who is always a little bit like plotting something. She always has a something of her sleeve. Uh, I don't want to, if you haven't listened to it yet, I don't want to spoil it. So definitely go and listen to that episode. Um, but there's a little bit of a darker character. Uh, and then mezzo-soprano roles are also used in what are called pants roles or trouser roles. Um, so these are roles that are where a mezzo-soprano uh, portray so a female mezzo soprano singer will portray a man. So, for example, in Der Rosenkavalier, we had Octavian. Um, so, in Der Rosenkavalier, as I mentioned before, there's a the two women 
who are competing for the affections of a man, and the man is Octavian. So Octavian is actually portrayed in that by a female singer who's singing a mezzo role. Uh, another example of this is Nero from Agrippina. So Nero is Agrippina, the empress's son. Um, but Nero is actually portrayed, again, by a woman. Uh, so there's a lot of great memes uh, in the modern opera internet world about mezzo-sopranos uh, kind of being the thing that turns women gay. Uh, and I mean... Yeah, they're, these mezz- the mezzo-sopranos nowadays are pretty great. Like, uh, uh, to get into some examples, Elena Garanja, um, who portrayed Octavian in one of the Met HD recordings of Der Rosen Cavalier, uh, she fully embodies this, like, brazen sexuality of, like, I just, she just, like, oh my god, she just comes off as such a dude, and like, oh my god, I I don't know, so hot. Um, but they really, like, mezzo-sopranos are these, like, gender benders of the opera world. Uh, again, I think very fun. Um, and so, some famous mezzo-sopranos are Elena Garancia, Joyce Di Donato, Dolores Sejic, Kate Lindsay, yeah, and that's not to say that mezzo-sopranos only play these pants roles. Again, mezzo-sopranos also play these roles where there is more of a an alluring, like, seduction and darker thing going on. Uh, again, another opera that we haven't talked about, but Bizet's Carmen, which I think is famous enough that I don't need to have talked about it before, but Carmen is, again known as this alluring woman who ruins men's lives. Uh, And she's a very famous mezzo-soprano. But I will say, again, there are sopranos who have flexed down into that role to play Carmen for a performance. So again, we we can see times where a mezzo-soprano has played a traditionally soprano role, or we've seen sopranos come and play mezzo-soprano roles. Um, again, these are ranges on the musical scale, so it's up to the individual singer to see what they feel comfortable doing and what they are able, able to do within their personal capabilities. Um, the next example, the next voice type I want to talk about, uh, is contralto. So contralto is the lowest female voice. Um, again, this is one of those areas where the gender binary is going to come in and is going to kick in. (laughs) Uh, so a contralto is definitely a female voice because if you looked at the same range of notes on the scale, the, vo- the voice type for a man is called something different. Um, we'll get to that later. But a contralto is the lowest voice on the scale for females. Um, unfortunately, we haven't, like, it's not as common in most operas as the mezzo and the soprano, but it's still, I, it's a very interesting role. It again, because it's not as common, I can't point to an example in one of the past operas we've talked about, but I will, I think the first time I heard it, 
I was a little bit like taken aback and amazed by it. And that's why I will bring it up here is that the first time I heard about it was when I watched Porgy and Bess, which is a American opera. And there's one character in it called Maria and she's contralto. And I think I heard her sing and I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, so of the few contralto roles that are out there, a lot of them are more matronly, I would say. So we're going to say we're trying to depict a heavier set a woman who has some earthy uh, aspects to her, uh, you know, salt of the earth kind of gal. Um <laughs> So now we're going to jump into the male voices. So the highest male voice is a countertenor. Uh, I would actually rather, I'm going to say we get to that later and just go to like the traditional highest male voice, which is a tenor. Um, so the highest male voice is a tenor. Um, they, these are characters that are usually like little lover boys um they are also again like usually these like kind of like leading parts um and we can see that in a lot of operas so in madama butterfly pinkerton uh, our emotional american lover of chocho san is a tenor in Il Trovatore, uh, if you haven't listened to that yet, there's a big love triangle between Leonora and Manrico and Count de Luna, and Leonora loves Manrico, and Manrico is a tenor. He is all into the lover boy routine. He comes and serenades her beneath his window, beneath her window, uh, and they're very much in love. So Manrico is a tenor, a classic tenor. Um, in La Fanchula del West, our Western opera from a few weeks ago, um, Dick Johnson, or uh, Ramirez, as his alter ego is, uh, is a tenor. So he's very taken in, in, into the uh, mini character. Um, and then... Um, not necessarily a great lover boy, but if you tune into the last episode on Salome, uh, Herod, the king, King Herod, uh, also a tenor. Uh, so this again, highest voice range of the male voices, uh, very much emotional and getting swept up in feelings usually. Uh, and again, I know I keep saying again, uh, but really, like, much like sopranos and mezzo-sopranos, they are all these different categories within each of them, so there's a, there's a coloratura mezzo, there's a coloratura soprano, there's, within the tenors, there's a lyric tenor, there's a helden tenor, which, uh, helden comes from the German hero, so a very heroic tenor, uh, and so they all kind of describe like not just ranges within the the musical notes but i mean maybe they do but i think i also think it comes a little bit to like the way that something is sung and like the technique involved in singing something um some current uh some i'm going to emphasize that these are current tenors that 
I have seen, not that this is a comprehensive list, but uh, Piotr Bekshala from Poland, uh, Roberto Alagna, which he's from like France and Italy, and Jonas Kaufmann from Germany are all very famous tenors that are all very good. Uh, I love Piotr. <laughs> His Instagram is great. <laughs> um, but... Literally, if any of the opera singers that I list on this show ever hear this and want to be on the show, I would take you in a heartbeat. Um, anyways, so tenors, there are like our lover boys, a lot of feelings. Uh, now we're going to move down into the baritone range. So baritone, kind of like soprano, we can kind of draw parallels between the two between the different voice types, um, they're a little bit more of our, like, more standard voice, uh, just not everyone can reach the high notes, right? Um, tenors are actually one of the more, uh, difficult to find voice types, uh, because most people just, you know, have average voices, uh, and so baritone's average voice, so, but the baritone is also going to be, as we, like, again, here's what we're saying is we're, as we go lower, we, start to put these different ideas of a person on. So um, as we <laughs> went lower with women, uh, they became a little bit more sultry and sexy. Uh, as we go lower with men, they become a little bit more evil or questionable. Um, or in some cases, a little bit more um, commanding of authority. So for example, a baritone that we've talked about so far in, in La Fanchula del West is Jack Rance, who's the sheriff. So he is authority figure within that opera, but he's also not the best dude in the show either. Um, he has some questionable moments. Uh, we also see Count de Luna, who, in uh, again, from Il Trovatore, Count de Luna is competing for the affections of Leonora from Enrico, um, and he is definitely put upon as more of the like uh, the evil guy. Um, but when we get into this like authority idea in Salome, Yohanan, which is uh, the object of Salome's affections, is m very much a like religious authority figure. He's not necessarily evil. He's just very much like uh, uh, casting judgment or preaching or trying to change people um and he's a very much he's very much a religious authority figure and then we get into more oh actually now we get into my oh good guy listen listen to the madama butterfly episode because sharpless from madama butterfly definitely a good guy like not all baritones are bad guys is what i'm saying here um but Sharpless is a baritone. Um, and so some other famous baritones include, oh my God. Okay, so my mom um, speaks Russian, so we'll be totally embarrassed by the way I say this. Dmitry Hvorostovsky. Uh, and a Rus that was a Russian baritone um, who unfortunately passed away in 2017 a little bit too soon uh another great baritone uh was and going again with this idea of like the more of a religious figure not necessarily a bad guy but a 
religious authority figure, we have uh, Athanael from Thais. So he's definitely this man who's like driven by his religious values and he tries to impose those values on other people. Um, and so an example of such a singer, um, I saw Athanael portrayed by uh, Thomas Hampson. Great guy. <laughs> so that's the baritone voice type. And then the next one I'm going to talk about is called bass baritone. It's a little bit more uh, in between. So the next one after bass baritone is called bass. So this lies in between the two. Um, this is going to be one of those voice types that could flex up or below. So I think from what I've already covered on the show, the one example I could find of a bass baritone is from Bluebeard's cat from Bluebeard. Um, the character of Bluebeard is either portrayed, could be portrayed by a bass baritone or a bass. Um, so the darker we get, um, a little bit more evil, a little bit more questionable. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much to say about this one other than that. Um, some other famous bass baritones, again, because like we haven't had the most examples of bass baritone on this show. Um, some fam famous bass baritones from the current uh, cl uh, current time are Bryn Turfell and Eric Owens. Eric Owens portrayed Porgy Por and Porgy and Bess, so that's when I hope we get to in the future. And then the last at the bottom of the vocal range is the bass type. So again, there are definitely like vocal ranges and notes to this. I didn't want to put them on here because I cannot really speak to them. I mean, it's not going to mean much to me if I say hi C. Um, maybe it means something to everyone else, <laughs> but uh, I it just does it to me. Um, so there, the base, um, the one example that we've had in what we've covered so far is Baron Ox from Rosen Cavalier. So Baron Ox, for those who haven't listened to the episode, is just this brutish man um, who's also in his own way very comical. Uh, so he's boorish and kind of rude and very uh, self-obsessed and arrogant and but in it, it is played for comedy so that's not to say that anytime we go lower everyone's evil it can definitely be these characters that are more and just have these negative caricature traits that we can use for comedic uh purposes in a lot of operas so that's the major voice types. The next two I want to talk about are a little bit newer. So um, one is the countertenor. So the countertenor is actually what the highest voice type for men is, for male singers is. And the countertenor is actually a voice type that can reach above the tenor. So the countertenor can reach into the contralto range. The countertenor can even reach into the mezzo range. Um, it is 
a very almost surprising voice to hear. It's definitely, I recommend looking up some countertenor singers. Um, I think a somewhat younger one on the scene is Jakob Josef Orlinski, a Polish singer. Um, I think he had like a YouTube video that just like blew up one year. Um, but again, like countertenors are these like higher male voices. Um, I don't, there are a lot of, I don't know if there's like too many roles of it, uh, some almost like a contralto. It there's not a ton of roles that were written for them so far, but I think there are more roles being written in newer operas. Uh, an example is in a more recently like created opera named Marnie. If uh, anyone's an Alfred Hitchcock fan out there and has seen the film Marnie, um, Marnie was actually also made into an opera that was commissioned by the Met uh, and put on recently. Um, recently being like any time before this pandemic, but so Marnie has a counter tenor role, um, which is really cool. And some there's so outside of, uh, besides Jakob Josef Orlinski, there's also, um, Yanis Davis. Um, and so we can also see a counter tenor role and Justin Davis plays that one in Marnie, but he also plays a role in Agrippina, um, uh, Otone, which he's like the one dude who, pretty much does nothing wrong the whole time. So that's the the next part about this is that there is this history within opera of uh for a period in time there was a voice type called the castrati and uh as we can maybe detect from the notes in the not the notes but the 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 base of the word castrate castrated these were, uh, un- it's a little bit of an unfortunate history. So these were men who were, uh, not men, it was actually just boys. They're boys who were castrated to preserve the higher vocal range that they were able to attain before they hit puberty. And so these castrati eventually grew up to be like fully grown men, um, who were still able to hit those higher notes that they wouldn't have been able to hit if they had hit puberty. Um, this practice was eventually outlawed by the, like the Catholic church, uh, and done away. Um, like many, uh, written accounts talk about how beautiful the singing was and how, um, Actually, so because the people found the singing of the castrati so beautiful, most of the like leading male roles actually went to these castrati that could hit these high notes that were more traditionally reserved for like female voices in in our current modern understanding of it, and and so there's so yeah no people were fascinated by these men and um, a lot of them. Made good money uh, if they were good at it. Um, however, it also caused um, a lot of people to be, I think, unnecessarily castrated. So there, there were times where actually people would 
because of the appeal of the Kasrati voices um, for more poor families or orphans. Uh, some boys would sometimes be castrated in the hopes that, that it would then turn out that they could be one of these singers, just even if they didn't have a singing voice. Um, and so that's um, <laughs> an unfortunate side to that of history um but so there's actually only like a couple of recordings that exist of the castrati voice and it's by um this fellow who a few people claim to be a little bit mediocre of a voice <laughs> of mediocre um uh technique but how how would they know <laughs> yeah I mean, like, the last recording of the, the last and only recordings of the Castrati are from, like, the early 1900s, so have been eliminated from the current opera practice, and, but there were all these roles that were written for Castrati that had to be modified because of this, so we can see Castrati roles being taken over by mezzos, we can see them being taken over by countertenors, um, because, again, those were the vocal ranges. And, you know, it gets back to this idea that it, these voice types are covering certain ranges, and we can see individual singers flexing outside of their range and flexing or stretching into a different range. And so it's not necessarily about the gender. Um, and so... As we're seeing more countertenors, we're seeing more mezzos, and we're seeing people kind of just like portray different genders and go into different vocal ranges. It's very interesting. I think it's interesting that we see mezzo-soprano women portray male characters, and they're, to my knowledge, I have not seen a countertenor man portray a woman. I hope we can see more fluidity in these roles because I think when it comes to mezzo-sopranos, women per portraying men, we get a lot of like interesting drama. We get a lot of interesting interpretations and I would love to see that go the other way. Um, so those were the voice types. There's something to knowing from when I tell you what a character is to actually being like, oh, but this is also a soprano role or a mezzo role or it's a mezzo pants role. Um, can give you a better understanding of how opera works in general and the different uh, like character types we're seeing and how they fit into each other. Um, there's obviously way more to opera than this. There's way more to opera than the different voice types. And there's voice types within the voice types because German categorization Fach system uh there's like three or four voice types within each of the ones I listed and I kind of gave you insights into that uh but I didn't go into the actual technical details of it uh so we can delve into that further if you all are interested um but if you've been listening for this long then you might actually be interested in watching an opera. And if you've already listened to the episode, great preparation to just go watch the opera. Feel free to listen to any of the episodes I've mentioned so far. So I mentioned, I talked a lot about 
um, some of these operas had a lot of great voice types, had a lot of variety of voice types, like Madama Butterfly and Fachula dell'Ouest and Count and uh, Trovatore. So, um, I'm gonna say that slower. Uh, so go check out the Madama Butterfly episode, the Il Trovatore episode, the Fanchula del West episode, and their Rosen Cavalier episode. Um, think about how those voice types like might influence how it sounds. And then try to check out the opera itself and listen to how it sounds and how those differences in range can actually create this huge contrast and a spe- extra drama in certain uh, duets or trios that are sung. Yeah, so that's, that's your opera homework. <laughs> um, and as for the show, uh, we'll be back in two weeks with a new opera. And until then, you can follow the Instagram or Twitter accounts for the show at opera.apero on Instagram and at opera.apero on Twitter. Um, I post a lot of silly or silly content on Twitter and I post a lot of like preview stuff on and also like notifications of like operas that are streaming on Instagram. And if you enjoy this show and you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And until then, I will see you in two weeks. Bye.